Episode 41. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. Last time I ended not just in the middle of a line, but with a cliffhanger worthy of the worst excesses of reality TV editing. Polonius is in the middle of his instructions for his servant, or spy, Rinaldo, and has told him to malign Laertes with what forgeries he pleases. If this is the Danish version of helicopter parenting, it seems manipulative and hardly in the best interests of the unsuspecting son in Paris. What on earth is Polonius doing? Laertes seems to be a good son. When we meet him in Act 1, he seems respectful and decent and just eager to get back to his studies. Whatever he might be getting up to in Paris is another question, as we'll continue to hear. He's a little overbearing towards his sister, but then he didn't lick that up off the stones. For all of Polonius's to-thine-own-self-be-true advice, we now see the father sending a servant not just to spy on his son, but to spread untruths about him too. He qualifies the forgeries he'll allow Rinaldo somewhat. Mary, none so rank as may dishonour him, take heed of that, but, sir, such wanton, wild and usual slips as our companions noted and most known to youth and liberty. So there are limits to the lies that Rinaldo can make up about Laertes. Nothing so offensive or rank as might do his reputation serious damage. And rank is a word that will have several appearances in this text. Shakespeare uses it more often in Hamlet than in any other play. Polonius is thinking of only minor misbehaviours, such wanton, wild, and usual slips as our companions noted and most known to youth and liberty. The language here flows so beautifully, even as the speaker is crafting such a startling web of lies. He doesn't say sins or errors or even crimes, but makes light of it all, calling them just slips. Companions, rather than foibles or lapses in judgment, things to be expected of young men in the prime of youth and liberty. Whatever about how he is with his children, Polonius is remarkably good with words. And before we have too much time to start wondering what these seemingly permissible slips might be, Shakespeare has Rinaldo ask for examples on our behalf. As gaming, my lord? Aye, or drinking, fencing, swearing, quarrelling, drabbing. You may go so far. Now, gaming is gambling, a word that only appears like this in Hamlet itself. Polonius doesn't seem to think it's too much of a sin, and allows it for Laertes. But Hamlet himself will mention it later in the play as an example of a misdemeanour that has no relish of salvation in it. So perhaps there's a moral relativism to Polonius's machinations. As well as gaming, he lists drinking, fencing, swearing, quarrelling and drabbing. Although fencing was itself a part of a young aristocrat's education and upbringing, Combining it with drinking could lead to unnecessary fights or even deaths, as mocked by Shakespeare in Twelfth Night. Swearing was questionable behaviour, since it was more expressly a sin in Shakespeare's time. Elizabethan and Jacobean drama are an incredible trove of minced oaths. 
think of zoos, splud, slice, and even stroof, all invented because Puritan influence was increasingly against swearing. Indeed, in 1606, all swearing on stage was banned, and by 1623, a general ban on swearing was in effect everywhere, with a rigorously enforced fine of a shilling per oath. So swearing could prove a rather expensive habit for a young man about town. Next on Polonia's list is quarrelling, another likely outcome of young men drinking. Again, there are examples of Shakespeare poking fun at such activities and misdemeanours, but in fact, the most impressive example of how a young man might get caught up in quarrelling comes in Ben Jonson's comedy, The Alchemist. So, drinking, fencing, swearing and quarrelling all seem fairly recognisable to us, but then Polonius comes to the word drabbing. Nowadays, the word drab means dull or lacklustre, but in this context, it means a prostitute. So drabbing here means frequenting houses of sale. Regardless of what Laertes' father thinks, Rinaldo imagines that this is just a step too far. My lord, that would dishonour him. Somehow, Polonius doesn't agree, and gives us further insight into his logic. Faith, no. As you may season it in the charge, you must not put another scandal on him, that he is open to incontinency. That's not my meaning. But breathe his faults so quaintly that they may seem the taints of liberty, the flash and outbreak of a fiery mind, a savageness in unreclaimed blood, of general assault. Polonius again shows himself lord of the double standard here, suggesting that Rinaldo can absolutely get away with laying all of these false claims at Laertes' feet, so long as he seasons it all carefully. He must not leave Laertes open to the scandal of incontinency. He seems to be suggesting, as the ardent current edition rightly notes, that there are acceptable and unacceptable levels of sexual indiscretion. This is all very murky business, given that Polonius is a high-ranking official in a court that is now ruled by a man who has technically committed incest with his brother's wife. So wherever Polonius chooses to draw the line, it's on morally rather shaky ground. Rinaldo can imply that Laertes is prone to all of these indiscretions, but not to the extent that he comes across as being out of control. That's not Polonius's meaning. Rather, he should breathe his faults so quaintly that they may seem the permissible, boisterous behaviour of a young man away from home or at university, the taints of liberty of a college student, the flash and outbreak of a fiery mind that might be expected to behave like this, sowing his proverbial wild oats. Polonius is somewhat warming to his theme now and suggests it could all be put down to a savageness in unreclaimed blood of general assault, the kind of wildness that almost everybody generally is affected with when they are young. Unreclaimed here is used to imply wild or untamed. Laertes' blood is hot and young and a bit savage and understandably out of control. The only other example of this coinage that springs to my mind is in fact a headstrong daughter rather than a son. And this is when Juliet appears to be compliant to her father's wishes in Romeo and Juliet, and therefore old Capulet rejoices that this same wayward girl is so reclaimed. I think the only character in all of Shakespeare who behaves and de delivers a worse litany of bad behaviour is the wild fantasy of Malcolm in Macbeth, 
when he starts basing Macduff with outrageous descriptions of his own depravity. He, too, is not speaking the truth, but rather making up a version of his misbehaviour with an ulterior motive. Right on cue, as we might perhaps be asking ourselves the point of all of this parental slander and subterfuge, Shakespeare has Rinaldo help again. Even Polonius sees this question coming. But, my good lord, wherefore should you do this? I, my lord, I would know that. When your actions are so startling that your servants question you about it this boldly, you know that something is amiss. I often wonder whether the initial audiences for Hamlet spotted the echoes of Lord Burley, and indeed whether there are even more nods and digs against him woven into a scene like this. The sheer act of sending the servant to spy on his son, to say nothing of his curious manipulation of his reputation and his good name, could well have seemed a rather dangerous caricature of one of the most powerful and influential men at court. Shakespeare is always brilliant at staying right on the knife edge of what's allowable, and now he lets Polonius explain himself. Marry, sir, here's my drift, and I believe it is a fetch of wit. Polonius is particularly pleased with the ingenuity of this scheme, this fetch of wit, but true to character he takes a great many lines to explain it. Since there's no neat way to break up the very long sentence that follows, I shall save the whole curious explanation of what he's doing for the next episode. This week, there are a good few references and explanations coming on the show notes page for this episode, and you can find them, as ever, on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.